0: This is a Radio.com original.
1: This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles.
0: And I'm Mike Simpson. Some cities around the country upset about the slow vaccine rollout. They've been dealing with the case surges since Thanksgiving. They're looking for help, any help at all, to slow things down. But they say they're not getting enough from their own states when it comes to delivering enough doses of the vaccine in a timely fashion.
1: And we'll talk to mayors of two big cities about how they want to deal directly with the federal government and skip the state middleman.
0: And then we'll look as whether that makes sense. Bypass the states, go to the cities.
1: We'll hear from a member of President-elect Biden's Coronavirus Advisory Board about how new strains of the virus could make things much worse.
0: And two new studies show what happens when we open up classrooms for the small kids and the big ones.
1: Let's start with the angry cities wanting more vaccine doses. They sent a letter to the incoming Biden administration asking to send doses directly. Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin is with us. Mayor, how are you guys handling the new CDC guidelines allowing everyone 65 and older to get vaccinated?
2: So the State Department of Health controls that and they're evaluating now whether they will change the classifications the state has done. Um, But our state, like every state, is lagging behind in, in actually getting the shots in people's arms. And so we're looking for ways as a city to help the state and our King County Public Health as well. We were finally authorized to be a vaccine provider and our firefighters are in our adult family homes now vaccinating those people that need to be vaccinated so we're on the road to getting more shots in the arms of people who need them the most
0: so that kind of brings us to our topic at hand right skip some of these steps get the vaccines to the cities that's what you want how much easier does that make things or is it just more levels of bureaucracy to have to get through
2: i don't think we can get to the numbers of vaccinations we need to reopen our economy and come back together as society without giving cities this ability Um, The cities that are on this letter represent a disproportionate share of the American population. We've already shown through our vaccination sites that we know how to set this up. We're trusted, get it to work. And we need everybody. We need the state doing what it's doing. We need counties doing what they're doing and the public hospitals. But the sheer numbers to get to where we need as a society, we have to have cities in the fight. And the only way we do that is if we have direct access to supplies of vaccines.
1: Now, I can see a smaller city than Seattle, you say one of the smaller places around Seattle, saying, well, wait a minute. What's going to happen is we're going to be big footed and the vaccines are going to go to the big places, Seattle, you know, Philadelphia, Los Angeles. And they're not going to be able to be distributed in the amounts needed to the smaller towns.
2: So the letter was signed by cities big and small. And we've shown by our testing sites that we've uh, we've actually helped the cities around Seattle Um, That that where people didn't have access to testing, so it should not be. It shouldn't diminish anyone's capability. In fact, it should it should be additive. We need more places for people to get their vaccination as quickly as possible. I mean, if you think about just the sheer numbers of people in Seattle, for example, in our county, in order to get to the seventy percent immunity vaccination ratio that we need, we have to vaccinate about one point three million adults which is 2.6 million shots in a period of weeks. We've never done anything like that before. And in order to get it done, I think having the city involved is critical.
0: Is there an easy answer for why nobody knows anything yet? I mean, we talk to doctors all the time who say, at least in this state, no guidance has gone out, we haven't heard anything. And then just now we're working on setting up these super sites. I get it that it needed to go to hospitals first because that's easy, right? But it seems like everybody said, send it to the hospitals, and then they kind of stopped planning what to do next.
2: Look, I, I wasn't in the inside, but it does feel like deja vu all over again with testing where we weren't getting what we needed. And it was that became the Hunger Games, everyone getting their own testing capability. We went to Korea and we get our testing supplies from South Korea, but there's only one source for the vaccination. So I'm hoping that the Biden administration coming in will have a different approach. There'll be a lot more transparency and people will know when and where they can get these vaccines. And look, these vaccines don't do any good sitting in refrigerators. We need them in arms. That's what has to happen for our businesses to open, our schools to open, for people to be able to come together as community. Um, And cities will play a critical role in that.
0: Jenny Durkin, Mayor of Seattle.
1: The Phoenix area is one of the worst hit in the country with surging cases. Mass vaccination sites have been set up and anyone
0: 65 and older can get a shot. But the city doesn't quite have everything it needs. Kate Gallego, mayor of Phoenix. So, Mayor, how bad are things right now?
3: Well, it's it's a very difficult situation. In Arizona, we don't even have a statewide mask requirement. And I think that has sent a signal to folks that um, maybe they don't need to take this seriously as I think they do. We do have a requirement in Phoenix, but we actually had to petition our governor even to let us do that. He'd originally prevented us from doing so. There's also, I think, just challenges with the residents we have. If you had challenges, including asthma, other health problems, diabetes, it seems that you are now more vulnerable to COVID. So communities that have a higher percentage of residents who have lower incomes, who have health challenges, are getting hurt very much in this round.
0: So that goes along with what we said here before, right? We didn't do great with testing. We didn't do great with contact tracing or containment. So we put our eggs in the vaccine basket. And now we're here. There are vaccines around somewhere. So the situation in Phoenix is what? Because you signed on to this letter saying we got to get more of these just to the cities. Open the doors for us. We'll handle it because we're not getting what we want right now.
3: Mayor Eric Garcetti led mayors across the country in putting together a proposal for the administration to provide vaccine doses directly to cities. We are good at delivering vaccines. In Phoenix, our firefighters have done early childhood shots. They do flu shots every year. We know how to do this. We would like to be part of the solution if we want to get 100 million shots in American arms. Phoenix is one of the many cities that is willing to step up and help us meet that ambitious Timeline. Cities have done incredible things. Your own city has 3.5 million tests administered. We are good at logistics. We have emergency operations centers and, and we can help
1: Where do you stand now with, as you know, there are new federal guidelines uh, here in California. There are new state guidelines that uh, vaccinations should now very rapidly move to the new tier group, which is 65 plus. What's the situation in Arizona and what's the situation in your city of Phoenix?
3: Our county has not received the doses that we were expecting, and so it's a real challenge. Our county has said that they are not quite ready yet to go to 65 and under So they're at a different place than the state. Um, like Los Angeles, we have separate county and city government and the county is involved. But our, our county and state have had conflicting websites and it's it's been quite confusing. So the state may go to a different standard than the county. How's that
1: for <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, I mean, I, can you blame people for being and not just in your city, but pretty much all over the country for just being so uh, at wits' end about it. I mean, as a country and then in different parts of the country to different degrees, we failed miserably at containing the virus originally. Then we failed at contact tracing. Then we failed at testing. And now it seems like we're failing at vaccinations. What are we doing right? Anything?
3: We are in Arizona ramping up the delivery of vaccinations. So I hope that it will get better soon. I also hope we've been more consistent about public health advice. What can prevent the transmission, including, you know, not going out drinking with your mask off. And, um, but I, I understand people are frustrated. I am too. My dad was asking me yesterday to explain why he couldn't register because he now meets the criteria. So I have to have to say government is trying to do our best, but uh, I can understand people who want us to do better.
0: I, yeah. I mean, that's part of your, your letter too. And there's, there's a line in there that says, you know, we need to be, we need to be nimble, which is is not a word I've ever associated with government. So I guess people still aren't hopeful. You know, they say it's going to get better. It's going to get better. But we're still we're still waiting. And we know it's going to take time, but it doesn't seem like there's a concrete plan or urgency there to quickly do something.
3: Well, I would say local government has been incredibly nimble during this in Phoenix, we had library workers who used to run our, our tech hubs where we we had like machines where you can print equipment and they went into doing protective equipment to save the ears of our medical professionals. Uh, we also had not done mass testing and we had some of those same library workers working with our public works folks to set up mass testing sites. Uh, we did things we have never done before. We have so many city employees who took on work that isn't in their job description but has saved lives in our community. So I do think local government being close to the people has relationships and and can get things done. You know, at the city of Phoenix, we run senior centers. We know those seniors and we can talk to them about why it's important to get vaccines because unfortunately in some of the communities that are hit hardest, we are also seeing higher levels of hesitancy about whether people wanna get a vaccine.
0: Kate Gallego, mayor of Phoenix, Arizona. Give her some vaccines.
1: You heard from two mayors about how their cities need more vaccines quickly. But would it really be easier if the federal government dealt with cities directly and cut the
0: states out? Would it cut the red tape or actually create more red tape? Dr. Julie Swan, head of the Department of Industrial Systems Engineering, North Carolina State, has worked with the CDC, Red Cross, in vaccination and medication distribution. So, doctor, what's it going to take to jumpstart things? (laughs)
4: This is a great question, and unfortunately, it's not that easy. A lot of the things that we need to make these systems faster really take weeks to months to put into place, you know, it might be information technology systems, all kinds of other things. Now, while we're waiting for those longer term things, we are going to start seeing that more states are, are going to be expanding to other priority populations. That certainly could help the vaccine get out faster However, that is potentially at the the risk of reducing vaccinations in those who may need it most. So that's a, a double-edged sword, as they say.
1: But you know, here's, I guess what I don't get because you were mentioning,, you know, this these things take time, granted. But you know, the vaccine companies, as you know, I mean, they went and they took a gamble and they ramped up their own production of actual vaccine even before they knew, whether or not these vaccines were going to get approval. I'm talking about Pfizer. I'm talking about Moderna, uh, talking about AstraZeneca. Why didn't the states do the same since we were expecting to have some kind of vaccination available, vaccines available? Why didn't we spend the past 10 months getting all this into gear?
4: It's another good question. The the state and local health departments have been working on it. They were asking for funding to help support their efforts for months. That funding was finally allocated at the end of December, just before the turn of the year. So that funding, it supports all kinds of different things, you know, changes in the information technology system, staff to support planning. So the states have all had plans in place since at least mid-October, but it does take a lot of resources is to put together a campaign that delivers millions and millions of doses and public health just doesn't have the kind of resources that a private company like Pfizer or Moderna have.
0: Is there a state that's doing like a bang up job at this? And is it a state with not a lot of people in it? Are we a victim of, of you know, how many people live in California and that makes it more complicated?
4: You're right about that. North Dakota has been uh, going more quickly than other states. So has West Virginia. I've looked in detail at the plans, uh, and and I can tell you that Um, there are several different things. One, it is more complicated to deliver vaccine to a place like California. You've got lots of different populations, some urban, some rural, lots of different health departments that are participating in that process. Vaccine hesitancy that might be different across different groups and needs different solutions. North Dakota, um, they did make some investments early on uh, in their information technology system that gives them full visibility all the way to the end. They've done some things to really understand what the um, each individual provider might be able to deliver based on, on seasonal flu, so that makes sure that they're not sending too much to one location while there's another location that's waiting on it. They are a, a smaller state, smaller population, so that does make it easier. Okay, but um, but over let, time, yeah. Yeah, but,
1: but but let me interrupt because uh, we, we were just checking. I wanted to verify something, and Mike, thanks for for looking at that. So the the population for Israel is about. What was it? Nine million? Yeah. Nine million people, uh, which is about the population of Los Angeles County, give or take a million. But that's about Mm -hmm. roughly the same. Yet Mm -hmm. we in Los Angeles County are at almost the bottom of the list in being able to get vaccines to our population. While the state of Israel with about the same population has doing a bang up job of getting people vaccinated. Everybody had the same situation. Nobody knew for sure if there was going to be a vaccine. We all found out at the same time. We all needed to have the same, you know, vials and needles and healthcare workers to pump the vaccine into people's arms. How come they can do it? And we can't.
4: Well, I bet the country of Israel put a lot of resources into the last mile over the last few months. And in the U.S., we didn't put as much on the last mile. We had really focused our efforts on the production side. I think we will start to see things uh, speed up. But I would say to everyone, just continue to be patient. Just, you know, just try to relax and continue doing all of the things we need to do, testing and mask wearing and distancing. It's going to take a while to both produce and distribute
0: vaccine. Dr. Julie Swan directs the Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering, North Carolina State University.
1: Coming up after this short break, the worst to come might be on its way. We talked in the last episode about two new variants of the virus researchers in Ohio have identified. It's possible they started here in the U.S. Then there's the variant from Great Britain, which doctors say is more contagious.
0: Member of the President-elect's Coronavirus Advisory Board, Dr. Michael Osterholm from the University of Minnesota, says the new variants could lead to a lot more cases and deaths in the upcoming weeks. He was with WCCO's Chad Hartman.
5: And I must tell you that we're very concerned. I think that, uh, as I've shared before with you, you know, these are the Mm -hmm. darkest days of the pandemic and with this new variant from the United Kingdom, this mutated virus. Uh, we expect that we could see a substantial increase in the number of cases here in Minnesota in the next six to eight weeks. Very substantial increase. The worst by far of the pandemic. So, you know, we are in a race right now to get vaccine out to protect ourselves against this virus. Okay, so let me stay with that last part. The worst by far. The next six to eight weeks. What what are we talking about? Well, if we look at what's happened in the United Kingdom, Ireland, places like that, where this particular new strain of the virus has taken over, we're seeing increased transmission by 50 to 70 percent, meaning that, uh, you know, the previous highs we hit in terms of case numbers could literally be, you know, a lower level at uh, at best of what we might see. I mean, again, you know, we've had this uh, changing baseline what I call shifting baseline of numbers. Remember back in, just from a national perspective, back in April when things were a house on fire, 32,000 cases a day, it can't get worse. Memorial Day, we get it down to about 22,000 cases. People feel like, haha, we've done it. And then all of a sudden in July, we get to 72,000 cases a day reported nationally. Can't get any worse than this. This is terrible. Then we get it back down again. Labor Day, we're down to 26,000 cases a day. And then suddenly... You know, as, as I said the first week of October when I was in Meet the Press that I thought that we would get to 200,000 cases by Thanksgiving, people thought it can't happen. We hit 200,000-plus cases a day at Thanksgiving. Then we saw it come down a little bit after Thanksgiving, and now it's on its way back up again. You know, 4,000 deaths yesterday. That was something we never thought could happen. Um, and, you know, the numbers, don't be surprised if we see 300,000-plus cases a day in the near future, particularly with this new variant strain. So two things. One is we still can protect ourselves the same old way. It's distancing. It's making sure you don't swap air with someone that might be infected. Second of all, you've got to get your vaccine. Now, people will be obviously at the mercy, in a sense, of the system of how much vaccine we can get out. And the new administration has... A promise that they will move heaven and earth to get as much vaccine out as possible, as quickly as possible. And I think that that, too, will be extremely helpful. And just to make a comment, because I'm sure there's listeners here that somehow think this is a, a,
2: you know,
5: some kind of a commercial for Democratic uh, uh, efforts here. It's not. I'm just a balls and strikes caller. And I'm telling you right now, I believe that what we have coming will fundamentally change the game for vaccines. I I saw today Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. I've listened to other governors the last couple of days say, we just we're going to run out of vaccines. We are just going to run out of it. It's not just even that they're not ready to distribute it, but they don't have that apparatus, they don't have the money. They just don't have enough of the vaccine. You think that's going to be resolved pretty quick, too? Well, that one we have less impact on. It's kind of like it's because if you plant twice as many acres of corn in April, you can harvest it, you know, in July. OK, you can't. You got to, you know, you got to wait for the full season. We're literally uh, only able to distribute the vaccine that the companies produce. And they're trying. They're, they're, they're ramping it up every day. We're getting more and more production. But that's the limiting factor. So you know, in terms of getting the kind of doses that we would need to vaccinate the country, that's not going to happen until second quarter, maybe early third quarter. So at this point, that's the challenge we have. And I just want to you know, make it clear that every dose of vaccine that can be moved forward as quickly as possible is being done. But uh, you can only make so much vaccine at a time.
1: The CDC put out new studies on what happens when classrooms open back up during this pandemic. They looked at how in-class learning in both K-12 schools and universities impacted the community spread of COVID, and they found two very different stories.
0: Dr. Eyal Oren, epidemiologist, infectious disease specialist, San Diego State University School of Public Health. So, doctor, what are those two stories?
6: Uh, So essentially, if you're looking at uh, younger kids, uh, you're seeing uh, much less uh, transmission and uh, the the transmission in school among younger kids accounts for a minority of cases in a given area, Uh, whereas if you're looking at at older kids in college age population, you're seeing kind of a different story in terms of transmission potential and spread.
0: So then the hunch that a lot of people had that we got this all backwards, we should have sent the college kids home first and kept the smaller ones in yeah. campus would kind of go along with this.
6: Yeah, well, of course, like everything else in life, it's uh, quite complicated and we've got evolving science and evolving uh, stories. So it's always, always easy to kind of look back and say, oh, we should have done this or that. Um I I think the story is far from over, and the evidence uh, is quite mixed and and is polarizing, right? And and in fact, the World Health Organization basically urges at a country level to be really thinking about sort of this risk and benefits, right, in a different group. And and of course, with younger kids, you really are thinking a lot, I mean, actually all ages, but but certainly there's been a lot of attention paid in terms of negative impacts on children's uh, health in terms of staying at home compared to the the potential transmission of when they go back Um, that
1: go ahead. I was going to say, is the difference that uh, is being found between the younger group uh, and the college age students, is it a, a difference brought about because of biological differences in the age groups or because of the social activities that are different between younger kids and, and older kids or a combination of that?
6: Yeah, it's definitely a combination. Uh, children get sick less frequently when they get infected with COVID-19. And, and, uh, when they do get sick they're they have no symptoms or mild symptoms for, in the most case. So, you know, we're talking about often kind of a low grade fever or fatigue or cough. Um, but, uh, so given that, you know, the, um, they also have lower kind of transmission potential in terms of kind of getting more particles viral particles out there uh, and then we've also seen they have a lower likelihood than adults of having severe disease and being hospitalized with some exceptions um, it doesn't mean that they can't transmit it to someone else who can get sick though um, you know it depends if they're <laughs> the environment right where they're where they're going and if they're sitting still or not um, with the uh, say older kids but young adults essentially or college-aged kids uh, there's a very very big social element that that is is not you know it's not under parental control and and they are are, uh, can can do kind of as they wish and so that definitely plays in in terms of again when uh what they choose to do and and how they choose to behave as opposed to maybe a kid being under under that yeah uh, more uh
0: college kids are going to do college kid things um yeah (laughs) it, it brings us to where we are now though this this environment, right? We've got a lot of community spread because we're in this surge. So if you were to open a campus, you would probably always have some spread. It's it's inevitable at some point. But now we're in this situation where if you did it, it's going to work its way in just because there's so much out there. So if we backed ourselves into this corner right now where it's still not a good idea to open these schools, or could you still pull it off, which is yeah. the young ones?
6: Right. So I think, again, I, I, I don't, I'm I'd like to kind of give you both sides of the story, and I guess the um, we've definitely seen a mix. If you look at actual studies that have taken place in schools um, across the globe, really, we've seen a mix of results. And uh, generally, uh, we see that um, despite a very large number of children attending educational settings, you know, on a daily daily basis, we see few outbreaks, relatively speaking. Right? We're not seeing this really large scale kind of transmission going on. On the other hand, there's definitely been evidence of this within school transmission. And in fact, there was a kind of a large review of studies that was done where they found that in about a third of the cases, a third of the, the instances, uh, additional cases were identified. Um, and that was in the context of kind of what we what was happening, you know, across the globe in terms of smaller classes, bubbles, hygiene, and so on. Uh, that said, there were just a number of studies and Part of it is the the CDC study and and, and other studies that that came out in the past uh, month or so that really showed pretty low risk of infection and spread in schools. Um, But that was in the context of a lot of public health measures that were successfully, uh, we think, successfully used. So things like uh, screening students and staff every day um, complying for symptoms, complying with masks, uh, you know, reporting, quick reporting of cases. So there was quick follow-up uh, communication channels. I mean, all, all these kinds of things, the bubbles. So I th- I guess the bottom line is, uh, I think you, like you said, transmission may be inevitable, but we do know quite a lot in terms of what sort of m- mitigation strategies can be used to lessen that that likelihood of transmission and to do things in a fairly safe environment. But knowing that, again, I think as we've seen um, in Southern California, that you might then go through a lot of open-close, open-close types of scenarios. Yeah, at least for the near future.
0: All right. Dr. Eyal Oren, epidemiologist, infectious disease specialist, San Diego State University, School of Public Health.
1: Have you wondered what people were doing since they've been stuck at home for almost a year? Well, (laughs) deliveries of newborn babies are up 30% compared to last January at one hospital in Indiana. One doctor at the hospital says it's expecting 70% more newborns in March. She says she expects to see more babies born around the country as long as people are stuck at home. She says one thing people get in this pandemic is time with their immediate family and people have apparently figured out how to fill that time with each other I I get
0: it they're watching more TV that's right it's Netflix Uh that's all it is you can find us on the radio.com app Apple podcasts Google podcasts and Stitcher